Julia, you know I love a good wiggle butt. So you do, Anya. <laughs> I uh, want to know: Can you kind of take a guess as to what type of animal we are going to be talking about today? Ooh, is it another Aussie? No, no. You know how I feel. No more Aussies. <laughs> Fine. Let me see. It's got a wiggle butt. It's not an Aussie. Aha. Is it a corgi? It is a corgi. It is a corgi. Yes. We are going to chat with Anthony, who runs the account Pavlov the Corgi, who is mostly what I know from them from Twitter, which is a very, very funny Twitter account, witty banter happening on there 24-7, but also Instagram, top notch. And I'm excited to chat with him. Well, great. Well, first, let's let's start with a little bit of background on on you. Um, I know that this is about Pavlov, but also you're a big reason why everyone gets to enjoy Pavlov on the internet. So, who are you? What do you do outside of creating amazing content about your dog? Yeah, so I'm Anthony Osuna. Um, let's see, I'm newly Doctor Osuna. I'm a psychologist now. And um, I'm up here in the Seattle area, and I do a little bit of practice, and then I do um, a little bit of research as well. And and you and your your fiance now, which you recently shared on on Instagram, you you got Pavlov together from what I read. You were both living in LA mm-hmm. at UCLA. You met, I believe, while you're at UCLA, and you and you got him. So what? What was that journey like as far as getting your first dog together and how long ago was that? Yeah, so Tram and I actually were dating since high school. And so we went to UCLA together um, where we kind of um, both got on this psychology track. And so um, let's see here. We were both psychology majors at UCLA. And by the time that we had, uh, at least I had graduated, we started to think about, well, you know, we should, we want a dog. I think that after we graduate, we can, you know, have the space and opportunity to do so. Um, so by that time, we were probably dating already like maybe four or five years. And it was like the next stage of our relationship together. And so um, when did we start thinking about it? What well, Tram was always trying to convince me like, hey, like we should get a dog. We should get a dog. And I have a dog back at home, but the idea of having my own dog and our, you know, in Los Angeles by ourselves was kind of just like, we'll see, we'll see. Um, and then uh, I think it might have been our fifth anniversary. I had kind of opened up a bank account and threw a little bit of money in there and, and kind of gifted Tram. Uh, it wasn't, it was more so just like the symbolic nature of, hey, like, I'm serious, let's get a dog together. And um, we were, yeah, so we were very uh, thoughtful in the type of dog that we wanted to get. Um, first, we, Tram really wanted a, an English bulldog. And, oh, wow. Um, Those are big, big dogs. Yeah, yeah. Very, very big dogs and very different dogs than corgis. And we just kind of had to think about what was uh, uh, responsible for us in that context. Um, English bulldogs are great dogs, but they require a lot of maintenance and a lot of money. Um, and so we started to think about, well, if not an English bulldog, what dog fits our lifestyle? Which dog is cute? Which dog would make us happy? And um, from there, we went on a at least we were convinced by corgis. Um, we did our research, made sure that it fit our lifestyle of living in an apartment in Los Angeles. And um, soon after, we actually picked up Pavlov, or at least uh, we 
founder breeder and then and then picked up Pavlov not not soon after that. And do you remember, you know, as you were reading some of those descriptions, okay, here are like some, you know, commonly held traits for corgis. Were there any in particular that stood out like, oh, that's perfect for us? And then were there any where you're like, mm, this could this could get interesting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um the, the fact that corgis are are very smart dogs was something that we we'd like. Um, we put a lot of effort in the training and with psychology backgrounds, you want to make sure that the dogs could kind of do what we wanted them to do, or at least live the lifestyle that we wanted them to live. Um, so I think that was, I think that's still Pavlov's, I would say best trait, but also kind of his worst trait because he has a lot of personality and a lot of, uh, uh, kind of independence and, and strong wokeness, um, and I think the kind of concern was just the the health issues. Um, corgis and and long dogs are are prone to back and hip issues, and um, we were very mindful of that as well. Of saying like we're we're recent college grads or Tram was still in college, um, we want to make sure that um, we do this responsibly. So we actually made sure that we had health insurance from the very beginning, and um, we're just really mindful of. Uh, uh, talking to our vet, making sure that we kept Pavlov at a really good weight. And um, we're just mindful of all the potential dangers that corgis can fall into. So you get Pavlov, which by the way, great name for two psychology students. I mean, you couldn't have picked a better name, I feel like, for your dog. Um, (laughs) Some people either get it and they're stoked about it. Or they're just so confused where they're just like, why did you name your dog something Russian? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, it definitely fits. It definitely fits. So you, so you get Pavlov. What, what was it like when you first brought him home? You, you had finally found the dog that you were going to raise together. What were those first few months like? Uh, I think we, I personally underestimated what it was like to have a puppy, um, especially a corgi puppy that has a lot of energy to where, um, you know, I, I had a puppy growing up, but I was a child too. So it wasn't really like I had the responsibility of, of understanding the consequences of what happens if you don't, uh, aren't mindful of puppy things like chewing furniture and like getting gal and, you know, having to have eyes on the puppy all the time and it's like it's like having a baby so um the first couple months were really fun and interesting we were actually still living in westwood which is where uh, ucla is i had just graduated but tram was still in her uh, senior year at college and so um Pavlov was a like a college dog it was it was really fun to where i mean we weren't living in dorms we were still like outside the area but we would have to we would take him through walks throughout campus and tram would take him to like internship and um you know it, it was really fun because the college students loved <laughs> A puppy. They loved a corgi puppy. So there was times where we, you know, a 15 minute walk to across campus might take us an hour just because people were, were stopping us and we were talking to people. And it was kind of that first moment where we were like, oh man, these dogs are, are really popular. You know, we, we see them online, of course, but this was 2015 kind of before dog influencers was really a thing. Like there were, there was like Doug the Pug, which is like, you know, he's an he's a celebrity. He's not really an influencer anymore. Right. So like there was just like one or two dogs out there and there wasn't this whole kind of chaos around, uh, dogs on social media. And I think it was like 
oh, wow, like this is a lot and this is really fun. Let's kind of just continue to see, um, let's continue to post pictures. Let's continue to have some fun with this. Well, you had mentioned in another article um, that it, it took a while almost to really start building your following and you felt like you missed out on the important stages of if you do want to build your following is pu- posting the puppy pictures. So how did you mm-hmm. circumvent that when you're like, okay, we want to keep growing this, but we need to change what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I think so when we started, we started Apple's Instagram because we knew that we were going to post pictures of him and we didn't want to flood our own personal feeds with puppy content, but we didn't know that we, you could even be famous or you can like have a kind of content creation, especially around dogs was still so new in about 2015. There wasn't the idea that you could make money off this or get famous or just like become something that people understand, like that don't people don't know your dog through the internet, I guess. Um, so we didn't have a lot of puppy pictures. We didn't have these fancy cameras. This was actually like, yeah, we, I don't know, maybe had our first iPhones, but it wasn't like we were documenting every puppy moment to where like now um, puppy content is what goes viral, what gets everyone's attention. And like, if you look at the trajectory of a lot of people's social media content, it's like the first 10,000 is relatively easy because you're a new account and you're a puppy and like, you can get that attention. But after that, it's actually like the next 10,000 or the next 50,000 that really, in my opinion, kind of defined you as a dog content creator, like kind of the longevity. That's where I fell off by the um, way, with my, um, my account for smudge, my mini Aussie, like the puppy content was great. And then I don't, and that like, I think it's just a reflection of me as well as the content creator, but, uh, we stopped growing after a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone hits that kind of plateau to where the content isn't kind of taking care of itself, right? Like the content kind of speaks for itself for so long. And then after that, it requires a lot, a lot of work. And I think that's where we, um, stepped up our game to where I would say our first year, um, you know, we had uh, three or 4,000 followers maybe like, and we were hanging out with people who had stronger social media backgrounds like her friend Tofu. And when we met them, I think they had like 50,000 followers already at like four months. And we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like these people are, are crazy famous. Um, and for us, it took a lot of uh, understanding of what we were doing and the scope of not just content creation, but the scope of social media, like uh, uh, curation and understanding what the game was. And so, um, for us, it took a lot of consistency. We were posting every single day an original piece of content. We had to learn how to take photos and like, it it sounds silly, but like, you know, putting your dog in a situation or in, in a piece of content that, makes sense that it's not just everyone can just point their camera and say like here's my dog but for you for us to create something that caught people's attention in a way that made them want to follow us or made us separate from other kind of just any other dog out there who can any other account who can post pictures of their dog and so we posted every single day we engaged so much and that's something where i think nowadays you know it's not as rewarding because of the algorithm but back in the day like tram and i would spend like you know, several hours sometimes, or I would just go on the treadmill and I would reply to every single comment. I replied to every single DM. I would go to everyone else's account and I would just like 
engage with their accounts and be like, get to build a relationship with them one person at a time. And that was really rewarding back then to where people would follow us back. And um, I don't know, that's just like, I, I, now that I'm like where we are at now, like seven years later, it blows my mind that I had that, or we had that amount of effort put into it. But it was for us, it was the social piece. And I see a lot of social media. I think a lot about social media. And um, I think um, when it comes to being a content creator, there's the the social and media. And there's a lot of people focus on the media of like, what can I do to make my content stand out? And that's a piece of it. But, you know, no offense when it comes to dog content, there's not a lot that differentiates dog content. Like, you know, like you're going to do what you do. Um, but that social piece of like understanding how to um, kind of like not win the algorithm, but just like understand what is going to reward people enough to want to follow you and, and kind of stick with your journey long term. So it took a lot of work. We I took some classes on like uh, like these online classes on photography I took on my I would watch YouTube videos on what other influencers were doing like I was really manic about it um back when I was in college or like a recent grad and I had that energy so um it's it's been quite the journey well I think you know what differentiates you though from other accounts that I follow is you actually use Twitter very well also which is not something that you see very often in the animal influencer space um, so when did you start on Twitter, um, after you started posting on Instagram? Yeah, that, that's a great point. Cause I was always very Twitter inspired. And I think that was something that, um, but it wasn't until maybe I would say two or three years ago that we got on Twitter relatively like full time as a primary source of kind of content creation. Um, <clears throat> And I have to say, it is one of my favorite Twitter accounts because it is just really funny and very, very witty. It's a very witty account. Thank you. So highly recommend for the (laughs) follow. Thank (laughs) you. Yeah. And I think that's where we started on Instagram, where we were kind of wittier or funnier than some of the typical dog accounts. I don't have the energy to like make funny witty captions anymore. It just requires a lot of creative energy to do that. But back in the day, I was kind of our uh, uh, kind of like trademark were these these jokes that you would see on Twitter where it would be like me and then like so-and-so and it would kind of just be a dialogue. And those are kind of like uh, just like dialogue tweet jokes that like were also very rewarding back in the day. Um, and also like kind of edgy because like Twitter is a little raunchier than Instagram. Instagram, you have to be very, very curated and, and PC. Um, and so I brought that over from, from inspiration from Twitter. And to be frank, it started off as like taking captions from like tweets. I saw I was like, Oh yeah, this is a funny tweet. And it would just I'd throw it on. And people on Instagram were like, Oh, I've never hmm. heard that joke before. I've never seen that type of content before. And then I started to kind of develop my own jokes inspired off of what Twitter comedy was like. So I brought that over to the dog world on Instagram, but I could never break through on Twitter. I would, you know, we had like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram because everyone was expecting to see dogs on Instagram, but on Twitter, no one was expecting to see dogs or if they did, they didn't want to see Instagram dogs. They didn't want to see curated photos. They didn't want to see super highly edited photos where like we were at the beach or at some influencer event. Like they didn't, 
like that on Twitter, but they like that on Instagram. And so for the longest time, you know, we were really on Instagram as our primary platform. And I had to learn a whole nother kind of content strategy or social strategy for Twitter. And that's something that I think, you know, if you're on social media long enough, you understand that, like, you know, what works on Instagram doesn't work on, you know, you have to do something different on TikTok. You have to do something different on YouTube. You have to do something different on Twitter. And um, it's like learning a new sport. You know, I feel like you could be LeBron James and you can still like be, you know, you have the potential to be really good at football, but like dude has to like learn some strategy, but you can't just show up and like go do it. Right. Um, and so, and now let's add like gin to that mix and things really go sideways. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like not very rewarding when you're like flopping over there. You're like, Oh my gosh, this is gold on Instagram, but on Twitter, like I, I'm just getting no traction. And so I would say like, maybe a little bit before the pandemic, I started to really just like commit to it because all of these apps in order to be successful, you have to commit. You can't just like, you know, go um, like passively do it because there's people like it. I, you really have to get your like 10,000 hours of understanding what it's like to be successful on that platform. And so I would say maybe about two or three years ago, I, I made that commitment and I figured out like on Twitter, you know, just be organic and authentic you can post your dog like everyone wants to see a dog that looks like their dog on twitter right on instagram you go to instagram to see dogs that don't look like your dog you're like wow this dog is like so smart and so talented and these photographers are creating pieces that like you know really like you're opening up a magazine but on twitter it's just like a big gigantic group chat and it's just like i'm gonna post a picture of my dog on the floor i'm gonna post a picture of my dog doing something silly um and then using similar strategies of similar social strategies of instagram where it was like i'm gonna reply to people i'm gonna follow people i'm going to you know ask people to see their dogs too and you can't do that on instagram because there's no interface for you to solicit other people's dogs and so i think like on twitter there was just that whole other strategy that required a lot of time and effort and building relationships and so i think um, I enjoy Twitter the most. I think we've actually um, navigated away from Instagram being our primary platform to Twitter being our primary platform. But um, I think having multiple platforms in which we have a presence is um, is really important and something I stress to a lot of influencers and content creators. I I call it diversifying your your social media portfolio. You know, you don't want to have all of your eggs in like, you know, Twitter stock and then all of a sudden, you know, someone buys it. It's like you want to be able to have a bunch of different uh, uh, platforms in your portfolio so that you can have some flexibility if certain platforms aren't kind of meeting your needs. And between the fan, the, the Pavlov fan base on Twitter versus the Pavlov fan base on Instagram, how are they different in terms of maybe how they engage around Pavlov? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's why I like Twitter more is because dog, people are on Instagram to be famous themselves, right? Like the dogs that follow you, you know, but I'm a, we're a Corgi account. Most of our followers or most engaged followers are either like people that love Corgis or other Corgis or other dogs that want to be 
where you're at someday. And when, when someone goes on Instagram, they're like, I want my dog to be famous. I want my dog to get attention. And they engage with you just for the sake of like building your relationship and like knowing that that's what they're supposed to do. So it, it's not that it's less authentic. It's just more so very surface level and superficial of like your dog's cute, like cute picture. Like, but on Twitter, they're like, they're not on there. Like no one's on Twitter trying to make their dog famous. Like they're on Twitter just to see a dog and they're like, wow, like I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to like, um, know the idiosyncrasies of your dogs. And also just because you can post more on Twitter without like, you could always post a lot on Instagram, but like, let's be real. It's not very, um, uh, rewarding or reinforcing, right? You post like four or five pictures a day. Everyone's like, whoa, 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 don't post so much. Um, on, on Instagram, you could, like, I don't know if I can cuss on here, but you could like shit post all the time. And like, you could just like, I, sometimes I consider what I do is like shit posting dog content and people are like, wow, like I can see your, uh, so much more content of your dog because you posted a minute long video of them just running in circles or like begging for food. And our, our, just um, the people, the fans that we engage with on Twitter are just a lot more authentic and their expectations are like, they, it seems like they don't really have any that it's not a good piece of content. They're still going to engage with it. Um, so, I mean, I think ultimately it's, it's a lot more rewarding because also the people that you see are real people on Instagram. I'll see a comment and it's like someone pretending to be a dog. I'm like, that's totally fine. I pretend to be a dog too sometimes online, <laughs> but like, it's so hard to build a relationship with like yeah. a, a dog account where it's like, uh, who's that person behind it. And on Instagram, dog creators tend to like hide themselves and it's not really like you're building a relationship with them. Whereas on Twitter, you like click on someone's account and you could see their children and they have their job and their bio and you can see where they're from and they have like an actual picture of themselves. And it feels like you're actually interacting with people as opposed to some, you know, dog pretending. I know what you mean about, you know, the accounts that follow you on Instagram are usually other accounts trying to get famous because when I first created Smudge's Instagram account, I started to get tagged in all these things like, you know, tag 10 people and post a photo of your dog's a puppy. And then each of those other nine people will post it. And just these like, like gathering trains, just kind of what I thought they were. And I remember like, I messed around with some of them at first and I thought, okay, I, this is just not, not fun to do. I don't know these people. I also, I just don't have time for this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's always people trying to like game the system on over on Instagram. And Instagram, like, you know, Facebook, Meta, whatever, you know, whatever evil company owns it is just like trying to do that, right? They make their money off of, you know, having these very cryptic ways of like gaming the system and getting people to commit to it and making it hard for folks to grow organically. And um it, it actually is what, you know, has kind of turned me off. Totally. Of the I mean it's and as you point out, it's a ton of work and but, in, but you're part of a team. I mean, that's what's really cool to me about your account because we interview so many people who are like a, a single dog parenting their social media strategy, but you've got a team. And how do you and Tram typically divide and conquer on Pavlov's social media content? Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why we've been able to be so successful and have some longevity is that each of us have committed committed to it, but then also bring a unique skill set to to the platform or to our, our profiles to where 
Um, you know, I think I've always been the more kind of manager of it. So like, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, I, I post, I'm kind of post like nine, 99% of our content, or at least like all of the in-feed stuff. And then Tram would be doing the stories. And then I would have kind of the social, the socials, I'm more of the social strategist and Tram's more of the content kind of expert here to where, um, you know, I'll, I'm the one who, I'm a very socially minded person. I mean, I'm a psychologist, so I'm just always thinking about like how people are engaging um, and then also like how to get people's attention. Um, my whole kind of personality is built off of trying to get people's attention and like trying to figure out like how to get them to like me. And like that's, I used to be very online myself, like on Tumblr and on MySpace. And so it was nice for me to kind of channel that online attention seeking behavior into a dog and like kind of understand the social strategy in that light. So I've always kind of taken responsibility for the social growth. And then Tram has has always been the more creative person and just more talented when it comes to um, content creation saying, you know, she's the one who was always into photography before, before I was um, saying like, let's go to these places to take photos. Let's go to uh, like, let's do, you know, just let's take these shots. And even as we've kind of um, evolved into doing sponsored content, Tram is like the expert. I'm always like, Hey Tram, like we got a deal. And then I'm like, Tram, what are we going to do? Right. And then so Tram will be like, all right, this is the video that we're going to make. We're going to make a TikTok. We're going to make a reel. Um, this is the trending audio. Like I'm not, as consuming a lot of content, Tram's more of the content consumer. Um, and so it, it's nice to just have like this tag team to where Tram knows that I'm always thinking about the social strategy and the growth. And then Tram's the, or, and then Tram's the one kind of developing the content in a way that um, is refined and, and is kind of up to expectation and, and what people are looking for. I, I'm curious of, I mean, just based around, um, how I feel like so much of your content really is based around like, and maybe it's because I mostly engage with you on Twitter and follow you on Twitter, but do you think you would have had the same success rate with another breed of dog with the same strategy and the same witty captions? That's a great question. I don't think so. Um, I think we got really lucky that we fell in love with Corgis because they, uh, they have their own built-in fan base and their fans i mean fans of any particular breed are, are very fanatic about it but i think that corgis have just this special place in um society's heart exactly yeah to where um you know people love to look at them and they're very entertaining and they're very cute so um i think that in addition to just like not getting uh, in addition to, to corgis being um like especially popular and reinforcing. I think Pavlov is, we got lucky that Pavlov's freaking cute. Um, and, and all dogs are cute, but like Pavlov is just such a, such a beautiful dog. And he's tricolored, um, and then, which is rare for corgis, right? Yeah. Yeah. We thought we were at a handicap there because, you know, everyone loves the red and white corgis. We've actually like had people ask us like, what's he mixed with? Or like, you know, he's, is he a real Corgi? And we're like, yeah, they come like this. Um, but, you know, so like we we also felt like oh, we chose the tricolor Corgi because we thought they were so cute. Um, and so that was something that was, was I think it's been helpful in some ways too because it makes Pavlov stand out and be unique amongst some of the other Corgi content creators. Um, but I think the big thing that really led to or at least um, influenced our success was just timing. Um, I think that we entered the corgi or just like the dog content creation world like 
at the perfect time. It's kind of like the gold rush. It's like you needed to be there, like, you know, in the early 19, 1840s. You know, if you were looking for gold at 1850, you were probably too late, no matter how talented you were. Um, and like, this is where we kind of got in at the right time to where um, people were looking for dogs to follow. There wasn't this oversaturation of, of dogs in the, in the market. Um, and we were able to kind of differentiate ourselves in that space and a time in which people were looking, looking for it. So I think if I had Pavlov right now and I started his account, there's absolutely no way that we could have ever grown to be the size that we are now or have the level of influence that we have now. Um, and like, I just really feel for the folks out there trying to, you know, um, break into this space because there's just like, it's just a whole another game. I, I am curious. I mean, Julia has a wiggle butt dog. You have a wiggle butt dog. Who has the better wiggle butt, corgis Ooh, or Australian Anya. shepherds? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> they are both really cute wiggle butt dogs. I would say I like, I'm also very, I mean, I, even with the corgi, I would say Aussies have like nicer wiggle butts it's not the butt necessarily that corgi that people love about the corgi i think it's also in conjunction yes. with the legs yes. i think the, the tiny legs make the butt look a lot bigger and a lot more entertaining to look at to where you're like how is that possible um the aussies are, are super super cute and when they wiggle like their whole it's body like a croissant a or like, a cheetah so, like i feel so like cute. the difference is like Augie, like aussies really whip <laughs> it back and forth but corgis have like that slight kind of like twerk thing going. <laughs> it's, it's like the the peach yes, butt versus exactly. um yeah like smudge wiggle. It's like a fish that's like flopped up on the shore. He's just flapping all over the place. <laughs> you know, everyone gives J Lo and Kim Kardashian credit for making big butts popular, but I think corgis might have been uh, the leaders in that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We actually, some of our uh, merch has like the, the corgi butt on it. And it was kind of just like a, this is what everyone loves. Like we have to, and then we, we made a, it's just thick on it. And we kind of, for a while, when we were really on Instagram, it was like the thing where everyone was like thick butts, thick butt, thick butts. And um, we still have all these like t-shirts and hats and stuff like that on it. <laughs> That's amazing. And oh, you mentioned the, um, like the Corgi community. And I'll focus on Instagram because I know you're on different platforms, but as it relates to Instagram, what seems to be popular in terms of Corgi content other than wiggle butts? I'm guessing wiggle butts must make up what, like 80% of it? Yes. Yes. What else is popular? Um... That's a good question. To be honest, it's been at least over like the last two years, I haven't been a huge consumer of Corgi content on Instagram um, because it's been so, I feel bad for saying this, but just so mm -hmm. redundant. Like you, you can only do so much with your dogs. Um, it, it's so different with human content creators because you can go to a new city or you totally. can go to an event and you can eat a piece of food and like you can keep your feet going. On Instagram, it's like, I, especially when you're, when I, we were posting pictures, it's like, here's my dog in front of a wall. Here's my dog and like doing something. Um, but dogs can only do so much. And so, um, I think with reels, it's kind of helped bring things back, but it's also helped kind of reward the redundancy again, because there's just a bunch of trends and dogs. For sure. Well, thing. I mean, I guess one piece of content that's trending now with corgis is related to the queen, obviously who passed away a few days ago and mm. a huge part of 
the storytelling around her right now is related to her animals, the corgis in particular. Have you seen any uptick in engagement mm-hmm. or anything like that since corgis have been like front and center right now in the news? Yeah, yeah, definitely on Twitter. I think Twitter is one of the cool parts about Twitter is that um, when a, when something happens, everyone's talking about it or doing it. And it's kind of in the moment. And so you have to be up to date with kind of the cultural conversation at the moment. And so like last week, it was um, um, last week, it was just being a Corgi online was um, something that people wanted to engage with, or at least like something people wanted to, um, we're just like looking for. And so um, like, I hate to say like, I posted, you know, I was taking advantage of taking advantage of it, but I was just like, Hey, people want to see corgis right now. Like people want to see corgis right now. Um, so I would just post more content of, of Pavlov. And at some point corgi was trending and like, you can click on it and, you know, being kind of one of the only bigger corgis on, on Twitter, it was like our wow. content was there. So um, it, it, the queen has definitely made, just not not now, but just throughout the the entire kind of uh, discourse of of corgis, the queen has always been such a huge prominent figure in it. And part of the reason why I think they're so popular is just like they're a dog that people have known for a very long time. And with the rise of social media, people are becoming aware of a lot of different types of dogs. But the corgis have always been like one of those dogs that have been in people's minds and in their hearts also because of kind of their long-standing relationship. That's, with the yeah, that's very well said. And I think when I think about corgis, one thing that comes to mind as well, and I guess this was sort of embodied with the Queen's corgis, but they seem like dogs that transition very well from different environments. So you can be in an urban area, you can be in a city and have a corgi, but you can also be upstate or, you know, on a beach and they love to be outside and running around and they seem like a very versatile dog to me. You know, which I, I personally like would need in, in my choice of dog breed. Yes, yes. Pavlov is a dog of just all contexts. He loves to swim. He's lived in apartments with us. He's traveled. He's done it all. And I think that's what we love so much about corgis is just that they're, they fit in with our lifestyle in a way that um, is, is very compatible. Um, they're, they're medium-sized dogs, and you wouldn't really remember that because they're really short, but like, you know, they can be 25, 30, 35 pounds, hopefully not 35 pounds. Pavlov's only about 25. Um, but you know, they can, they can really do it all and, and fit people's lifestyles. So I think, um, I, I personally, I, I can't say I recommend corgis because they're just a lot. Like they, it's a huge responsibility. They're very smart. They have a lot of health issues. Um, they're very mischievous and get into things and like, you know, can bark and, you know, aren't always getting along with, you know, other dogs or kids. Like you just really have to take responsibility for understanding and training a corgi to be a good corgi. Um, but like, if you're willing to take on that responsibility and take it seriously, then I think, you know, corgis are, are great, great dogs. Yeah, that's something that we've talked a lot about in the past with other guests who have uh, specific breeds, just the importance of also educating their followers around what it actually looks like to take care of that breed. How, how do you use your platform to educate your followers around that? Like, yes, Pavlov's cute. He's fun. He's fluffy. He's got a great wiggle butt. But also we put a lot of work into making sure that he's a good boy. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, I think sharing the authentic moments, good and bad. And so I think uh, when it comes to social media, it's so easy to just focus on the good stuff and um, kind of, I don't know, maybe sometimes you even feel shameful about things that go wrong with your dogs, whether they get sick or they get into something they're not supposed to. Um, but I think we've taken, you know, those moments as opportunities to share with our audience what it's like to actually have a corgi. Um, you know, there's a, there's this one moment that sticks out to me. I think it was like, it was Easter and, um, we were at transparent or we were back home in San Diego. We were at my family's house doing some type of Easter ceremony. And we left Pavlov with Tram's parents at her house and, um, Tram's dogs have, or eat out of a, uh, like an automatic dog feeder where it was kind of just like this big water jug and, um, her, you know, non-corgis apparently just like eat whenever they're hungry um and can like walk by food and if they're not hungry you can that is so just not my dog out. whereas corgis like you can't yeah yeah and not pavlov either to where like pavlov will eat an entire bag of kibble if you left it out for him um and so there was that dog feeder and um he i guess it was empty he knocked it over and there was just pieces of kibble in this little water jug and he stuck his head in there to get whatever little pieces of kibble. And he had an entire jug, like a five-gallon jug, over his head. Oh, my and God. And he got stuck. And we had this phone call from her dad, like, Pavlov, like, is, is like he can't breathe. Like, her dad, like, cut off the, um, like, the end of it. Like, he cut it in half so Pavlov can breathe. But he had this, like, cone oh around gosh. his neck. And, you know, we had to just go and, like, um, I think like we had a side open and it was just like, just so he can get like two or three pieces of kibble. Like it was just insane. And like, it's a very quirky thing to just be that, you know, freaking crazy about food. And, um, you know, everyone was concerned. Fortunately he was safe, but it was kind of just one of those moments of you want a corgi, like you're going to do stuff like this. And, so anyways, we, we try our best to share those moments, not feel so shameful about it and let people know how we problem solved it. But like ultimately remember reminding folks that corgis are incredibly smart. They're a huge responsibility and they're not just cute Instagram models. You know, they're actually dogs that get into a bunch of stuff. Do you think people underestimate how smart corgis are because they're so focused on how cute they are? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people underestimate what it means to have a smart dog. Like it's not just doing tricks. It's the fact that they. It's about to say they're independent thinkers. And that's what people don't realize. Smart dogs are great, but they think for themselves. And sometimes that's nice. And a lot of times it's not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like their working memory is just insane. Like I see Pavlov work through problems and I'm like, in the moment, watching him dissect what to do and like get his own solutions. And um, like that, that's great. And it's like having a kid that is like super smart, but rebellious. And you're like, I'm so glad that you can like achieve all of these things, but like you're doing things that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And they're kind of just like, so what? Like I've made this decision myself. Um, And so I think that's something that when we actually got Maslow, we wanted to, we were very mindful of what it means to have a working dog. I think that's the thing that people don't understand is like what it means to have a working dog. It's like, they're not just smart. They like have this inherent drive to do stuff 
on their own, like solve problems that, that kind of we've nurtured them to kind of have. And so, um, you know, corgis are herding dogs and like, they just have this drive to like repetitively get a job done in a way that like can be kind of harassing. Like if they bring you a toy all the freaking time, um, but when we got Maslow, we were like, oh, we want a dog that is not a working dog. We want a dog that's a companion dog. Like we want a dog that is the opposite of this. And Maslow being a, a case hound is just like loving and he wants to be near you and you could hug him. You can't hug Papa. Um, and, or at least like you can hug him, but he'll want to squirm out, right? Like Maslow will like lean into it and like lick your face. And so like I understand now what it means to have these different like these differentiators and they're not just like descriptives they're like um like who these dogs are to their core that's so funny i feel like i am corgi <laughs> with men that i've dated and then i'm maslow with my dog where i'm like <laughs> <laughs> we say that trams i like wiggle I'm, out i'm like <laughs> why are you cuddling me this is not and then when my dog wants to cuddle me though i'm like come here Please, I force. I think I forced her to cuddle with me more than she wants to cuddle with me at times. <laughs> <laughs> Does, yeah, we say that uh, Tram is 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 Maslow and I'm Pavlov. We just <laughs> have embodied each other's personalities. Well, as far as I guess having you know um, having built these accounts together, but also just the, the dogs having these dogs in your life. And sorry, we didn't, we didn't talk about Maslow that, that much. Um, (laughs) but how, how has having these two dogs brought you and Tram closer together? Not just from just like the personal side of things, but also building the social presence. Yeah, I think it's taught us to be stronger partners. And I think that when many folks who are in a relationship say partnerhood, it's like, yeah, your life partners, your romantic partners. But like um, for me and Tram, we're, we're business partners, we're content creation partners, we're, you know, we're just partners in so many other ways because of that. And Tram and I have been together for, you know, almost 12, over 12 years now. And like, it wasn't until we got Pavlov and like built this kind of business that we learned how to be kind of working partners together Mm -hmm. and so there's there's times where we need to create a piece of content we're like hey we have to like create this ad for like you know know, whatever company right now and we're just like trying to get pavlov to do something and like i think that's pavlov's best trick is actually content creation because like he has to sit still and like smile and like do all these things and we have a vision or tram has a vision and i'm trying to manage pavlov and she's behind the camera trying to get a particular shot and it takes so much communication and i think you know we we built this communication throughout the years of our relationship but when it comes to working together there's things in each of our heads that the other person doesn't understand and we've had to understand how to communicate that in a way that is professional and not personal and can just make sure that we get our jobs done um and then also understanding that um like what we do through our brand or through our content is not just a reflection of us individually, but like us as a, as a couple and us as a, a like business as well. And in a very selfish way, like what I do impacts tram too, because of what we do through the account. And I think that um, there might be times in which um, maybe I posted something that she didn't want me to post, or um, I don't know, like we have a troll and I troll them back or, you know, we do something like that. And tram's like, no, like, 
you can't, you can't do that. Just like do something, you know, don't be so emotional or like do it. You have to handle that with a lot more grace. And in my head, I'm a very, sometimes I could be a reckless, emotional person. I'm just like, you know, screw it, whatever. There's just a troll. And Tram's like, no, like you don't, you don't want other people to like see us in this light or like, I wouldn't have approved of that. And just like me being like, Oh, it's not just about me. So I think, um, you know, it's definitely helped me be a lot more considerate each of us be a little bit more considerate of each other and, and understand how to communicate in a more, you know, yes, I uh, love that. effective way. And as, as far as your background too, with both of you, um, and psychology, have you done, I mean, we all have, I think a general, uh, understanding that dogs can improve mental health, but in your line of work, have you focused on that at all? Is that any thing that you have been, I don't know, that you've paid more attention to in your line of work? Hmm. Yeah, not necessarily the dog piece. Actually, there is one piece to where um, we haven't actually taken steps forward in in it because we're both just extremely busy. But um, there's a Twitter account called the Golden the Golden Ratio, and um, their mom is a, a professor at I think it's the University of Maryland. And um, she's done some survey work to see how like talking, uh, uh, interacting with dogs on social media can improve your happiness, or at least like from a very, um, just like kind of, uh, a, I'm not sure of her methodology, just I know that it's pretty basic research at this point. And we've been in talks about potentially doing some type of study to figure out like what impact following or being on dog Twitter has on people's mental health. And so, um, you know, there's been that kind of on the back burner for both of us, but more kind of on a, on a personal side or more personal professional side, my research that I've been kind of developing has been on social media broadly. So not the dog piece, but more so helping folks, especially neurodiverse folks. I, my, my research and clinical work is with autistic and kids with uh, neurodevelopmental disabilities and helping these individuals or populations have more effective and safe social media experiences because we talk so much about, um, you know, in-person social skills and in-person mental health, but very few people are, are really uh, looking into online experiences and um, ultimately giving folks the tools to be successful online. Um, I'd love to do more work, honestly, in maybe a couple more years on how to support influencers and content creators on social media. Um, I think when it comes to kind of the mental health sphere on social media, a lot of it is very reactionary and learn as we go. Um, people are learning in the moment, like, oh, I can't do that. Or these are the consequences of my behavior. But we never really talk proactively about how to support folks of like, if you're being trolled, delete it or block them, right? A lot of people are like trying to figure it out. And then it's not until after they make a mistake that they realize, oh, man, I should have done things differently. So, um, you know, ultimately, I want to kind of move towards kind of more like preventative work and, and giving equipping folks with the strategies to just be safer and more effective on, on social media. Wow. Well, it's, it's great what you're doing on a personal level in the workplace, but also I, I personally feel like your accounts improve my mental health because they always make me smile. And even if it's just for 10 seconds that you make someone smile, I imagine that you're having a positive impact through your accounts on a daily basis with a lot of people. Um, we have some wrap up questions that we're going to ask you that are very, very tough 
Um, I hope that you're able to handle them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I have a feeling you'll be just fine. And I don't think Tram's going to get mad at you for how you answer these. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm ready. All right. If, if Pavlov could commit a crime and get away with it, what crime would he commit? Uh, it'd be some type of tax fraud. Like he would steal something. Yeah. He would like do this very, like these smart crimes, you know, like he wouldn't break into it, like rob a bank, but he would definitely not pay his taxes and like do some type of insider trading so that he can get more money and like buy more balls and treats. That's a great answer. <laughs> um, if Pavlov had a human voice, what would he sound like? And can you do an impersonation? Oh, you know, this is something that me and Tram have had difficulty with because Maslow is very easy. Like Maslow's like a dad. Like he's like a baby, you know, and like he's so not easy, but just like he gave us that voice. Pavlov has been a little bit more difficult because like Pavlov is when we think of Pavlov, it's like a presence and it's just like such a strong presence, but like not in a way that like is hyper masculine. I think like when I think strong and do, I don't, I don't want to just give him this deep man voice because we think that he's just this guy. But I think like um, he's, he has this like very sophisticated, like, like, I don't like, he's, at times he feels like he should have a monocle and just be like, ha you know, like I think, um, so I Benedict think Cumberbatch. Like that. I, don't, I think that's probably the best thing. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and and lastly, if if Pavlov if Pavlov had a dating profile, what would what would it say and what would he be looking for in his uh partner? Ooh, um it, it would be something very selfish and like one of those things that you would see on like on Twitter of like don't do this. It'd be on like um, there's a Twitter account called like She Rates Dogs, yeah. and it just talks about it. Pavlov would be on there. It'd be like looking for bitches and balls or something like that. It'd be like, you know, looking for a bitch to throw a ball for me. Like it'd be something to where it's all about him, and he's definitely not gonna get any swipes. <laughs> Perfect. Well, on that note, <laughs> I I had so much fun learning about. How you built this account, I uh, and I look forward to continuing to follow Pavlov on on Twitter. And if I see him on Tinder, I'll I'll swipe right on him just to show him a little love. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, thanks so much. Okay, so I know that I tend to be biased, and I think that Aussies are the OG Wiggle Butters. But in full transparency, I always thought that Corgis owned the wiggle butt before Aussies did. Well, I remember when you were first talking about getting a dog, Corgis were at the top of the list too. So they definitely I am curious were. why Aussies ended up winning out. You know, it actually has to do with what Anthony touched on. Um, their little legs. They're, I mean, they're great running around, but I thought hiking and stuff like that just not necessarily built for that type of activity. And then um, was also just a little, you know, some of the traits that they have that he called out as well. I just wasn't sure if we would be the best at navigating that. 
but then we got and a crazy what, dog. What was a so. specific trait that he called out <laughs> that you don't think you and Josh could handle? <laughs> yeah, I think um, just they can be a little nippy and a little temperamental. I I would say, and then of course, like like Smudge can be. Oh, he used to be nippy when he was like in his hurting mode and I think we've managed to train him out of that by yelling at him a lot which I realize is probably not the best parenting technique but it worked (laughs) (laughs) but I would say that was it and you know he he's right though because we have a lot of corgis in my neighborhood and very few of them go to the dog park because very few of them are well trained and the sometimes they we've had ones that do come to the dog park and they are um, they bite and they chase the other dogs, and they're not always the best park companions. <laughs> we actually have had that same issue at the dog run that I go to with Ruthie. And oh, they're, really? They're feisty little fellas. They are. They are very feisty. They got attitude. Um, they do. And I, you know what, though, I can, I can respect that. I, uh, you know, I think we've, we've obviously talked a lot with different creators in this space, but Anthony, I think, provided some really interesting insights that we haven't really talked about before with other creators. Um, and one being that how Twitter in particular is not about the dog becoming famous as much as it is what's being said and connecting with people with what's being said in the pictures or I think people send, tend to connect with it more. And then Instagram totally. being more about fame itself. I hadn't thought about that. And I also hadn't really considered what it means to be an animal presence on Twitter versus Instagram or TikTok. And once he started talking, I realized, oh my goodness, he's right. They are so, so different. And part of it is that authenticity thing. You know, Instagram, you're often portraying a very particular part of a dog's life or, you know, the dog's character. But Twitter, the idea that people are impersonating their pets and having their own Twitter accounts, it I don't, I don't think it works the way that it does on Instagram. No, it doesn't. And I actually was thinking about this today when I was walking Ruthie, because normally she is an angel, right? And today she was acting a little naughty on her walk. And I've yet to Ruh-roh. show her little, her little naughty side. And, you know, there was a part of me that was like, I wonder if I would ever post about this when she's being ornery and being a little obnoxious. But then there was a part of me that thought, no, I wouldn't want to ruin people's image that they have of my sweet little Ruthie and that I don't want them to know that sometimes she has to go into timeout. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have all those blackmail videos, Anya, from when she stayed with us. So don't worry. (laughs) The world will find out one day, but for the right price. (laughs) Oh, it's true. And I mean, we, I I try to post about our difficult moments, just, you know, one, so people don't feel bad about themselves when they have them too, but also so people don't think that these dogs are like the easiest thing in the world. Like they shed, they hurt, they have issues. Um, But I, I also really enjoyed the part of the conversation about, you know, when I mentioned that this is a tag team between him and Tram, I didn't realize just how much of a tag team it is. I figured there was some distribution of tasks, but then when he really talked about how it would, if what what they post and how they interact with Pavlov's community impacts their relationship. It's like, that's a whole new layer to this that I don't think we've encountered on the show yet. Mm-hmm. No, we haven't. We haven't. It's, it is rare, I think, that we get um, 
an interview where it's multiple people behind the account. Normally it is just one person. I I need that person. I need someone, listen, if anybody's listening, I'm I don't have time to make reels. I don't have time <laughs> to, to, to care. <laughs> the job is yours. It sounds like a really great Tinder profile, Anya. Go for you, it. You can pet my dog as much as you want if you do social media side of things that I don't like to do. <laughs> On that note, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at the Furfluencers. Support us on Patreon. Subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes. Subscribe to our newsletter as well, which you can find at thefurfluencers.com. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>